Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Ton of traveling going on over the holiday season. And this is your time off. You don't want to spend it laid up with a cold, but it's probably inevitable. You might start to get one, especially if you're on planes with a bunch of other people during cold season. So trust Zycam to knock out a cold at the first sneeze of the season. While other cold medicines only mask symptoms, Zycam is homeopathic and clinically proven to shorten colds when taken at the first sign. Find Zycam cold remedy products from rapid melts to elderberry medicated fruit drops at all major retailers, including on Amazon. Don't even have to go to the store. Zycam cold remedy products are safe and effective. Visit Zycam.com, Z-I-C-A-M.com slash basketball to receive a $2 coupon on your next cold remedy purchase. Okay, I really want to get right into this here, talking about the game last night between the Heat and Raptors. Yeah, uh, so so let's do that by starting with Miami's fundamentals, just so just so we don't forget. Um, the Heat are fifteen and five, six and two since the last fifteen and sixty. Their plus five point seven net rating is seventh in the NBA. They are tenth in offense, eighth in defense. Five thirty eight's model projects them to win forty nine games, which would be fifth place in the Eastern Conference, and projects that they are going to make the playoffs. So they got to that fifteen and five record at the expense of the Toronto Raptors, who also now sit at fifteen and five. Ended up being an 11 point victory for the heat but it went into overtime he controlled it most of the way and had a solid lead late in the game before toronto roared back couple of Norman Powell three-pointers were key in that. But uh, some general takeaways from this one. Bam Adebayo starts at power forward for Miami. And Pascal Siakam really could not do much against him. Uh, I thought he was only 5 out of 14 in 39 minutes. And it got to the point where this guy is the start being talked about as an MVP candidate. I think he's a little below that level, certainly. But they stopped throwing him the ball, essentially, against Bam Adebayo. I thought they could have done some more things to get him going, like have him run, pick, and roll, where Adebayo is not necessarily going to get over a screen as well. And then you can engage either Myers Leonard or Kelly Olenek. They also, of course, play some with Bam at center. And in those situations, the Heat still have an army of guys. They put Derek Jones in on a a late possession to swallow him up. They've also got Justice Winslow. Jimmy Butler can switch on to him, though he's really not playing that stopper role that he used to earlier in his career. So I thought just a really impressive defensive game to me from Miami where you really see the versatility that they have, but they also are able to get enough shooting on the floor with some guys that maybe aren't considered defenders between Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, who had 22 points on 11 shooting possessions in this game in only 27 minutes. 
Olinick, Myers Leonard, those guys are not compromising their defense and they're staying within the system. You know, Leonard used to be just a massive liability. They're not getting killed with him on the floor the way Portland used to. So I thought it was a, a pretty impressive game for the Heat, uh, despite the fact that, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, they've had some pretty good luck uh, on both ends uh, with shooting. They really looked like they belonged to me in this game against a team that, in Toronto that was previously undefeated at home. Agreed on all fronts. And Spo and the, the as you said, the, the, the personnel's ability to turn what could be defensively liabilities into at least neutrals like that is a, a huge strength of a defense is to be able to minimize those players and there are a couple different ways that they can do it you brought up one and another piece of context for how impressive bam's job was is that almost exactly a week ago the heat played the rockets and the base assignment was bam guarding russell westbrook and i thought he did i a, love that that's just really smart to me it is and for for a bunch of different reasons i thought bam did a good job there you know not a perfect one but a very good job and i you know in many ways spo is using bam one of the ways that i thought jonathan isaac could be used as a perimeter defender were he not to be like if he's not going to be a center which steve clifford hasn't done we'll talk about that a little bit later uh but so i, I really like how they're how spo is using bam in that in that sort of capacity because you know he he can be a good rim protector, but I don't think of him as like that Rudy Gobert style guy where it's just nothing's going to get by him. The heat rim protection has actually been pretty rough this year overall. Uh, some of that is, I think, sample, but also just that. And so yeah, using Ma- Myers, Leonard, and Kelly Olynyk are your centers too. Yeah, a lot of the time. That, exa- exactly. And they're and I mean Bam is being drawn out more than he he is on the interior. But I think that using Bam in that fashion allows somebody like Myers Leonard to work. And it, incidentally, I mean you can make an argument with the way Miami's roster is structured. He's a better floor spacer than some of the guys they could do like the reason you go small sometimes is to get better force spacing well Myers Leonard can do some of that he was two of or two of three from three in this game so yeah I really liked what Miami did defensively and then offensively I've been impressed with they 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 are getting some shooting luck but their ability to you know be functional offensively even when Goran Dragic is limited or out and and they said during the broadcast that he's going to miss about the next two weeks with a groin issue so they've been able to get playmaking obviously from Jimmy Butler and Kendrick Nunn and Hero's done a little bit more than I expected. And of course, Justice Winslow, who did a lot of that last year. And so another piece of information about how this Miami team can be more resilient. And I still don't completely buy them, you know, as a regular season team in that top, top tier, but they're going to make life hell for basically any regular season opponent. And I could see them winning a bunch of games like they already have. A couple other notes on this one from Miami's perspective before we turn to Toronto. With Duncan Robinson hot, yet another guy that they basically just got for free out of their G League system, by the way. They were running a lot of this horns look where they'd start usually with Butler handling the ball up top. He played a lot of point guard in this game, especially with Dragic out now for, uh, as you mentioned, a, a couple of weeks at least, it seems like with this groin issue. So they would have a center at one elbow, Duncan Robinson at the other, and they just had a number of permutations out of that with guys screening for each other, whether it would be first Robinson screening for the ball, then getting a flare screen, whether it would be him getting a flare screen first, then the pick and roll happening they had a, a lot of little permutations of it and Robinson is really an excellent shooter on the move especially once he started hitting it he drew a lot of the defense Butler was in awesome distribution mode he had a number of beautiful laid on passes to the bigs 12 assists a triple double for him he doesn't have that many triple doubles in his career and only three turnovers in 41 minutes still his usage is not that high in terms of the number of shots that he's taking it never really has been in his career but he was running a lot of stuff for them late I am a little worried about his ability to finish at the rim these days he's passing more in part we saw this from Kobe late in his career at times where finishing at the 
rim isn't as realistic so now he's starting to become a better passer um justice winslow to me had a really nice game he played some backup point guard for them as well uh, he had four assists uh, and a few others his chemistry with bam was really good a lot of times toronto is just switching pick and rolls with winslow and bam and so those two guys had really nice chemistry on one play bam actually ran the pick and roll got screened for by winslow toronto switches then they threw it back out to winslow they run another pick and roll and beyond the switch bam slipped it and winslow lobbed a pass over the top for a foul those two guys uh, had a nice chemistry together uh derrick jones was back uh, as i mentioned only, only played 16 minutes Kelly Olenek was closing the game. He played 35 minutes, had a really nice time of it being guarded by Siakam because with his shooting ability, they put Siakam on him. They had Gasol or Ibaka guarding Bam, who is the center. And Olenek was able to sneak behind Siakam a couple of times. Siakam lost him a couple of times in the fourth quarter. Olenek had a big fourth quarter as Miami uh, built out to a nice lead that they then coughed up. Uh, Do you want to talk about the Miami yeah. Miami's shooting uh, shooting luck before we move yeah. on to Toronto? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, one other thing thing that i had to say about this game uh the heat promoted star wars night on their local broadcast and it featured justice winslow force choking myers leonard (laughs) to promote star wars night that was pretty awesome Uh, one of the better local promos uh, that i've seen yeah and Um, it's it's fun with league pass you get we're seeing more of those now than we did before well a couple years ago um but so what i want to talk a little bit about was miami's really strong opponent jump shooting luck so far over the season their opponents are shooting the second worst from three 31.6%. 31.6%. It's about 4%, 3 to 4% below the median right now. And fourth worst for mid-range. They have both of those at the same time. And opponents are shooting really well at the rim, but that's a, a, a smaller factor overall compared to where they're shooting. And that's why this is a big problem, potentially, for Miami is that they're also, so they have this opponent shooting luck, but they're also giving up the single highest three-point frequency in the entire league, a full 39.2% opponent shots. I made a reference early in the game to Toronto trying to regress these things trying to regress the shooting to the mean because they were hitting a bunch of open threes and then as seems to always be the case against Miami, that faded out. They, they ended up shooting 11 to 43. Toronto did. So it ke- kept in line with what yeah, Miami has done. And Lowry was 0 for 11. He had a lot of pretty damn good looks. He did. And so... His first game back from that yeah. uh, that fractured thumb. Uh, from Miami's perspective, though, this is a little bit different than some of the other teams that used a, that had a lot of opponent shooting luck because Miami's other defensive elements are pretty strong. You know, they're a very good defensive rebounding team. They're forcing a ton of turnovers. So even... Even if that gets normalized, they'll still be a good defense, but it won't be as ridiculous as it's been so far. And something else I just want to mention briefly with Miami is that let's assume that regression in the mean happens in whole or in part over the course of the rest of the season. They're really, unless Miami can get into the top two, knowing what we know right now, I don't think there's a ton of difference between three, four, five, and six in the East will depend on which teams are looking good at a given point. So, and they're not going to fall beyond that. So, you know, it, it, it does matter for home court and a couple other things, but opponent quality and all that, there isn't this pressure to be in a specific spot you just don't want to be in the bottom two well i think what could change that is if philly doesn't get a top two seed right yeah that that would be the thing that swings it yeah and i think that's quite possible um with just they're gonna take it pretty easy joel Embiid is not playing that many minutes they they've got a little bit of a house of cards in that if some guys are out for them they really just don't have a a ton of depth so you know if thibel continues playing well as he has then maybe that changes but uh let's turn now to toronto and uh, could look at them through the lens uh, of this game it's a shame we didn't get a chance to 
focus on them too much when they were killing it but they are six and one in their last seven 15 and five overall third in the nba in net rating hollinger and i talked quite a bit about them though a, a couple of days ago if you need some more good raptors fix eighth ranked offense fourth ranked defense both those came down a little bit after that miami loss projecting danny 58 wins is what they're projected for right now so if that actually is true they're gonna beat out philly for sure 50's not getting a, or philly's not getting a 58 uh and that would put him second in the east and uh, obviously they're gonna make the playoffs what did you see from them uh, in this game against miami though uh, and some of the other uh, themes that you, you wanted to look at with them i part of why i really enjoyed this game was because both teams defensively were well situated well personnel coaches to make life hard on the other team Siakam and Ananobi in particular like I mean Ananobi just had some really nice defensive possessions that I enjoyed on Jimmy and he's just he's so strong for his size that players who are used to moving opponents can't really move Ananobi as much as they have that interestingly though Norman Powell is actually the one who closed the game yeah and and Powell was four of eight uh, from three actually led Toronto with uh 23 points uh, on only 16 shooting possessions um and with Lowry and Van Vliet, Van Vliet in the backcourt and Siakam and either Gasol or Ibaka up front that left and Anobi as uh, the odd man out he only played 21 minutes um but yeah I mean I think he has been really really impressive um true shooting might go down a little bit 63 percent true shooting coming into last night seems a little high um, yeah but, and yeah. and to tie it in with the overall the overall story of the last few weeks Fred Van Vliet has been absolutely massive so far this season 19 points, 7.4 assists, 3.8 rebounds, and two steals in 37.8 minutes per game, which the minutes per game leads the entire NBA. And what I found interesting is that his own scoring, his usage rate in that perspective is is not really that much higher, but his assist rate is way higher. And some of that becomes, he's playing more as the sole, as the sole creator or sole with Siakam, which is a different thing. And it's so, so his, those counting stats going up is a mix of increased minutes and, and creation. But the most important part for me is that while the Raptors have a one 11 offensive rating overall in FVV's minutes, which is, you know, that's above average. I'd, I'd be very happy with that considering how great their defense is. They've, it stayed at that level when Van Vliet played without Kyle Lowry. So whether it's with the starters or when they stagger it when they're both healthy, the Raptors offense has stayed there. And so the most notable thing there also is the lineup that was the starting five most of the time Lowry was out. Van Vliet, Powell, OG Ananobi, Siakam, and Gasol. 376 cleaning the glass possessions plus 15.4 net rating because the defense's defensive rating is under 100 offensive rating 114.6 that group just wrecked teams and that's a big part of why they that they had the 6-0 run yeah i do think they need to find a way to get his minutes down and get lowry's minutes down if in fact they're gonna be make some noise this year because those guys just play such a physical style i mean it's really just incredible the defense that those guys play at their size and what good help defenders they are that the way that they're able to actually impact plays at the basket both of them being six foot essentially and neither of them having a ton of length it is remarkable but playing at that type of an intensity his offensive game as well you know a lot of pick and rolls a lot of drives on the ball gnashing under the basket uh, i worry that they're going to wear down by the end of the season with this type of a workload but they really just don't have anything else at point guard i mean those are really the only two point guards on the roster also worth knowing that norman powell has been really good this season he's is he back to being a good contract now danny we're getting closer to it <laughs> yeah he was viewed as an albatross now yeah. i mean he's really he's been contributing at a starter level at you know 11 million years a pretty good price um 
few other notes on Toronto if you are playing against Toronto you're like one of your number one things on the scouting report is do not foul Lowry and Van Vliet when they drive in particular Lowry those guys cannot finish at the rim Van Vliet is shooting like 40 percent on twos but they throw their body into guys on penetration and they get to the foul line and you just have to say hey no matter what we're gonna have some help available because it's always it's always the on ball guy who ends up committing the foul right it's a drive by Lowry the guy tries to cut him off and Lowry throws his body into him and gets the foul if the help guy comes over generally that guy is able to just go vertical and force a miss so if you are the on ball guy and those guys want to drive just say hey you know what I'm totally happy letting you get a little bit of an advantage. I'm going to stay behind you. I'm going to not follow. We're going to trust the help and or we're going to make them finish at the rim because they can't necessarily do that. But you know, Lowry got fouled a million times last night. It's just a, a lot of it was lack of discipline. See if I got anything else here. Now, that looks like about it. Let's uh, tell you real quickly here about the March Madness 365 podcast with NCAA.com correspondent Andy Katz. I remember reading Andy way back when I first went to college in 1998 and discovered really ESPN.com and started doing a, a ton of reading. Now he works for NCA.com and has this weekly podcast. If you're into college basketball, we don't really cover that, but Andy does a great job all the way through the Final Four and the NCAA Championship in Atlanta in March, early Final Four this year. He talks to the coaches and players who are making headlines, as well as the reporters on the ground with your favorite teams, offering the kind of in-depth analysis, insight, and coverage you can only get with March Madness access. Get top performances, highlights, recaps, exclusive interviews, along with Cat's Ranks, Andy's weekly Power 36, and of course his bracket picks come tournament time listen and subscribe to march madness 365 with andy katz new episodes every tuesday wherever you get podcasts all right we can hit on a couple of other teams that played last night detroit and cleveland cavaliers had a really rough stretch then they had a little bit better of a stretch their one victory in their last seven was over portland they were competitive in a couple of games and then they just got completely housed by the pistons last night 15 or 5 and 15 overall negative 8.4 net rating is 27th 24th on offense 26th on defense and that is falling quite a bit they project for 26 wins still a two percent chance at the playoffs hey eastern conference gotta love it uh before last night and it even went down they overall had a negative 13.6 net rating in the last two weeks a few things that stood out to me in their game against detroit we've been saying this all year sorry if this is a broken record but i watch these teams and these things stand out just any guard against cleveland is going to be able to get right to the rim and first it was bruce Brown doing that for detroit in the first quarter Derek rose had a couple of vintage ankle breakers getting to the rim and rose is shooting much better at the rim than he had the up until last year with minnesota and you know there really is no one on this team who was able to impact i mean tristan thompson maybe can be okay but he's really more of a move your feet kind of guy than someone who can actually help at the basket and then you know thompson used to switch but their guards aren't capable of doing that so that, that takes away his best skill darius garland again just very little impact they don't really give him the ball very often and when he does and he gets into the lane he's really just not able to do much he did his skill level is high i do think i i wish that you know he weren't necessarily on a team with sexton and clarkson and all these other guys or that they just gave him some time to explore the studio space on his own um he did have one play where he used my favorite move the up and under into a one foot finish but unfortunately after he faked out the first guy i didn't see that andre drummond was there who uh rejected him into oblivion 
Drummond was really good. It was pretty close to a five by five. Probably would have gotten it. He was one. He was one assist and one block short. Um, yeah, and didn't but, play at all in the fourth quarter. Right, exactly. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely been troubling uh, for Garland. I mean, have you seen any bright spots from him when you've watched? I mean, he's had a couple of good step backs. I did that film analysis a few weeks ago for him, and it, but the the theory of Garland, what what is concerning to me is that he doesn't create enough separation to really freak out a defense you know there's a big margin between him and like what Trey Young did his rookie year and granted I mean comparing any rookie to Trey Young isn't necessarily fair we both think a lot of Trey especially at this point yeah Um, yeah and Trey you just even when he was really inefficient early on I mean a lot of rookie point guards are inefficient but you saw the flashes from him and Garland just even when he does uh, the few chances that he does have certainly I mean it's three for eight in 28 minutes um you know I know he is coming back from an injury maybe he'll look better athletically but later on something you brought up that i do think is important um with how john beeline's going to manage his rotation i understand the idea of trying out sexton and garland together and they've been doing that a, f- a fair amount and they also worth noting that the Cavs have a ton of other ball handlers on this roster i mean whether you how you want to consider jordan clarkson can be complicated because he's yeah, ball the, their whole right. team is ball handlers other than like three bigs yeah and so that makes it hard to give to give garland that opportunity another takeaway for me from this game but then i looked at it overall larry nance does look more comfortable shooting the three he was one for three in this one his attempt rate is now 4.5 per 30 min- 36 minutes which is good i mean you'd be happy with that and he's making 39 percent of him so far I, I don't know if that 39 percent is for real that's really strong and he was 34 last year i think you know if he's 34 35 that's that's still been that's still beneficial i wonder though it's, it's still the same question with larry nance of like what is his role on an actually good team because i don't think he's a rim protector i don't think he's a a, a kind of a big quote-unquote defensively and then at the four yeah that's that we're finally getting to the point where he might be spacing it enough where that's okay but he's not really the I don't love him as a switch defender and all that so Nance is fine you know I'm not gonna say he's a bad player he shouldn't be in an NBA rotation but he to me is is exactly the type of player that general managers shouldn't commit a lot of money to because you can use that in almost any other way and provide more value to your team Kevin Porter is killing them right now actually the return of Dylan Windler which seems like it should happen in the next couple of weeks uh, coming off a yeah there was just uh, there was just a report that he's gonna he's gonna play with the canton charge so that's probably a good sign that he's getting yeah. closer i mean at least windler is someone who looks like someone that you have to guard at the three-point line he's got a little bit more size than porter does porter was negative 24 last night uh they got smoked at the start of the second quarter when he was out there john henson is back uh, didn't see a ton from him uh, he did shoot a left-handed hook shot though so he's the one guy who might be able to provide some rim protection on this team matthew della vadova is shooting 26 percent from the field in 235 minutes that's uh pretty rough his three ball has not gone down he is right now nine percent from three-point range three out of 32 that is really rough i mean he he didn't look that bad this summer i, I mean i think definitely the small amount of scoring that he did provide an ability to get to the basket that he did provide uh, has now waned for him and this is age 29 season um let's turn now to detroit eight and 13 but four and four in their last eight and two massive blowout wins 
they destroyed the Spurs at home and then went into Cleveland and destroyed them as well. I think these guys like might actually be a pretty good offense, Danny. Agreed. And a, a stat that goes in in your favor there is that when Blake Griffin has been on the floor, which still not that much because of how much he missed at the beginning of the season, 115 basically offensive rating. And the expectation has to be that Blake Griffin will play more moving forward than he has. And remember, they've, they've been missing Reggie Jackson. The, the rotation's been a little bit garbled. they using Bruce brown as a starting as a starting guard brown and canard i i still i like i still like canard I'm, I'm a fan of his um but the idea that blake griffin can be the linchpin of a successful offense is something we've seen before we saw it i think with the pistons last year and having derrick rose as a potential linchpin of the second unit can really help too yeah rose his ability to get to the rim is still pretty impressive and his season-long stats 22 per 57 percent true shooting 31 percent usage and if you just look at those stats alone obviously it's a different league but those raw stats are like pretty much where he was at in his mvp type of year um just doesn't get to the foul line nearly as much as he did back then and turns it over a little bit more christian wood 26 per 71 percent true shooting shooting 82 percent around the rim and 48 percent for three-point range <laughs> now that's not going to continue but isn't he he's like in the top 30 at pipm right now he's 11th <laughs> he's 11th after the spurs game and the the Cavs game he moved up there wood against san antonio 28 points on 11 to 14 from the field two or three from three plus 10 rebounds a block of steel in 22 minutes <laughs> that was it that was a wild one um I, yeah, and Wood, I wonder what his market is going to be. I always worry that players like that, free agency, even unrestricted free agency, is about falling in love. And I don't know if a general manager is going to stake the kind of money it would take. You know, like the, the the real kind of Christian Wood money. Somebody, I think, is going to get a value there. But and, and remember that one of the theories of the center position that worked well for the Warriors and a few other teams in the recent past is having two or three guys that combine to make a center. You know, like kind of like a Voltron idea at the center position. And I think Christian Wood is a really compelling part of that. Maybe you don't give him 35 minutes a game, but that's okay. You know, that you can do that a lot of different ways. So I, I like Christian Wood, and I think he's bringing something certainly more for me than Thon Maker was to their uh, yeah. to their big man rotation. And think about, I mean, there are various different teams you can bring it up, including, as it turned out, the New Orleans Pelicans that let Christian Wood go that could have benefited from having a little bit of a jolt of offense and, and defense too when Wood has it going to their big man rotation even if he's not starting yeah that's interesting you think about it that they preferred to keep Jill Okafor instead of Christian Wood that certainly looks like a mistake to me Wood has 26 dunks in 284 minutes it's basically a dunk every 10 minutes of playing time that's pretty damn good uh so he's definitely helped their offense Blake Griffin can't jump anymore I think we've been clear on that he's still wearing a sleeve uh, on that surgically repaired knee but the three-pointer was going down for him he was four out of five from three in the first quarter in this game against Cleveland and really had an awesome sequence at the end of the first where there was a loose ball he dove on the floor got fouled they weren't in the bonus yet so they inbound it and Blake hits a a deep three to end the quarter from the LeBron James spot uh, where he's hit those two game-winning threes in the playoffs, same basket too. And Blake, you mentioned how good it looks for them overall offensively with him on the floor. I mean, he just, especially with Reggie Jackson out, Bruce Brown playing at point guard, Blake spaces the floor for him. He just gives them a place to go, a calming presence, someone who can pass, just an NBA adult who can get everyone in the right place, give them a focal point, somewhere to go at the end of the clock. Blake's post-ups continue to not look that good 
I mentioned his finishing, like he had a play where he wasn't able to finish over Jetty Osmond, but he still helps. And you know, defensively, they're probably not going to be amazing. Getting Brown out there helps a little bit. He did it. Brown even hit a corner three in this game that looked pretty good. We mentioned his uh, reluctance to shoot it, but this is a great matchup for Brown because he likes to go to the basket and Cleveland didn't have anyone to, to stop him there. Uh, one big picture thing I want to mention for the Pistons. Yeah. 538 odds put them currently at a 22% chance of making the playoffs. My read is actually that it should be significantly higher than that. And oh, part, yeah. part of it is because they're so much better than these other teams around their record area. So like right now they're splitting 538 is splitting it with the Pistons and the Wizards and the Hawks. And to me, the Pistons are significantly better and they're going to, you know, they have some health stuff that's going to improve too. We'll see how much Blake Griffin plays. And so for me, what the way I would think about it is the top six are, are getting in barring catastrophe. And then the Nets, Magic, and Pistons are the next share. So even though I would probably have the Pistons below 50%, I would have them probably, my instinct is somewhere around 40 because they take the spot if either the Nets or Magic falter, whether that's due to injury, ineffectiveness, or both. Yeah, and here's something else for you. 8 and 13, positive point differential per cleaning the glass, right. plus 1.4. Helped helped by those two recent ass kickings yeah. and not yeah. as hurt by the two, they lost twice to the Hornets, Hornets over, baby, by a combined four points right before those two wins. So yeah, I mean, when you have that sort of a sequence, but yeah, I think the Pistons, I mean, so with Blake on the floor, and I mentioned the 115 offensive rating, they have a plus 5.4 net rating and they were above water, they were above neutral last year too with Griffin on the floor. So I mean, it's it, and now they have a much better bench to me than they did last year. Yeah, I mean, the, the upgrade from Pachulia to Wood, for example, uh, Reggie Jackson is still out for them, obviously, but they haven't needed him. I, I think they're getting enough from Brown, and then Rose is probably going to close games for them when it's close. Now, health is always a concern. When they really went into the tank earlier this year, Rose was out, Jackson was out, Griffin was just coming back. So Griffin is going to miss time, Rose is going to miss time. That's just the reality of the situation. Luke Kennard is having a really nice season. I mean, this team shoots the ball pretty darn well. It, Wood is going to drop off. He, nobody shoots 82% at the rim for an entire season or 48% for three for that matter, at least on, on any kind of volume. But you got to be happy if you are a, a Pistons fan, other than the fact that they uh, have already won 3.4 fewer games than expected. Give you some context for that. That is 1.4 wins worse than expected than any other team in the NBA. Portland is next with with negative 2.0 an identical 8 and 13 record for Portland as well okay we could talk about the Wizards next I've seen them in person on Saturday night or I'm sorry Sunday night against the Clippers watched some of their game against the Magic last night also they're 6 and 13 3 and 5 in their last 8 negative 5.1 net rating is 24th in the NBA fourth on offense although in the last two weeks or so they have been going down a little bit there and uh, defensive rating is now right where we hoped it would be all year 30th in the nba 117 defensive rating that would be the worst of all time still projected for a healthy 32 wins 538 has been higher on them than i have been uh, through much of the season and 20 percent chance uh, at the playoffs but they're going to be without thomas bryant and cj miles for some time here well yeah i mean especially in cj's case we'll start with thomas bryant he's the more important player uh he has a stress reaction in his right foot he will be re-evaluated in three weeks so that means it, it probably will be longer than that I, I i don't know how much longer but the and this gets into an issue ex- exacerbated in the ma- magic game because mo wagner was out so they basically had no centers they ended up playing hashimura there a lot and then with for cj he had a uh, surgery to repair damage in his left wrist the timeline there is four months that's what candace buckner and i think what the team has announced and when you have a four-month injury with 
four and a half to five months left in the season it, on a team that probably isn't going to make the playoffs, it is very easy to see that potentially being a, a full season injury for CJ Miles. He might want to come back because he is a pending unrestricted free agent, but we'll, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, and maybe you could see a buyout there with him ultimately. A team that needs some shooting could potentially have some interest. But I mean, because so four months from now would be what? That'd be March? No, that'd be April. Four months from now would be would be early to mid-March because December, January, February. Oh, you're right. I counted wrong. Oh, Counting, sorry. baby. I'm so good at that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh that probably means that his season really would be over yeah, regardless. I mean- um those wrist injuries take a while to heal. He's a shooter. It is his left wrist, his shooting wrist. Um, with Bryant out, Mo Wagner has been missing time with a sprained ankle. That's a, a shorter term issue, but he, he didn't play either of their last two games. Wagner, crazy as is to say, might be their best defensive center. Uh, he at least takes some charges. Thomas Bryant provides basically no resistance. John Schumann posited the idea that maybe they'd get better defensively without Bryant. And I think if they were a normal team, that might be true. But they have no other centers <laughs> who are available and they're playing Hachimura and Bertans at center in that game against the magic and they give up a buck 27 to the magic the magic danny uh not exactly an offensive juggernaut this season without Nikola Vucevic in particular Rui Hachimura did have a career high on Sunday night was left in as they gave up a buck 50 to the Wizards or I'm sorry to the Clippers but I thought he did some nice things playing more at the big man positions that's what he was in college I think helps him he got some plays rolling to the rim for some big dunks Uh, that looked a little bit better he uh, had a a nice drive where he faced up and he likes to get to that mid-ranger and he did hit some mid-rangers in this game but he also was able to rip it through drive use his shoulder get it into the guy and it was good to see him do that because he was working on that specific move with the coaches pregame where they're saying hey no you got to get your shoulder into the guy knock him backwards that's what he did protected the ball uh, and went up for a layup I thought in isolation against Kawhi Leonard he looked pretty good now you can just set a screen and he's probably not going to get through the screen but he does have the physical tools to stay with you know your Leonard's and Siakam's in just a straight iso but the question becomes is he going to get through a screen he does very little uh, as a help defender perhaps playing more as a big man during this stretch with Brian out can help him to hone those instincts as a help defender he really did play as pretty much a straight four uh in college they drafted him as a four he's had to play some three because they had some issues Troy Brown did not start the second half in that game against the Clippers they went with Bonga after Paul George put up 27 in the first half I didn't think it was necessarily Troy Brown's fault but he ended up being the scapegoat. Seems like Scott Brooks uh, has kind of an idea that he's a little bit soft. He had some comments about how hard Bonga competes, and that's why he was brought in there, kind of a passive-aggressive shot at uh, Troy Brown. I don't know if you saw the moment in the Magic game when Michael Carter-Williams basically straight-line drove past Troy Brown and just went, I, in my brain, I just went, oh, no. <laughs> you know, and it's, a, it's it's a small sample, but, I mean, Michael Carter-Williams can, be a, can have some drives at, at moments in time, but it's part of the theory of Troy Brown is he should be able to stop guys like that at bare minimum. Yeah, so, I mean, he's going to play because they don't have anyone else the organization has an investment in him but he he hasn't been that good he had a couple of creative finishes at the room against the Clippers but overall this season he's shooting about 50 percent at the basket and doesn't really look like he's there he is a shooter I watched him shoot around pregame and it doesn't really look like his three-pointer is there yet as a weapon he's going to be taking it his form doesn't look awful but I mean the the ball just doesn't really go in for him at this point in time and it it never really has in his career I mean going back to even to his uh, time at Oregon he's the, the I'm not saying 
saying the jump shot's never going to get there, but it's certainly a work in progress. So if he's not a shooter and he can't really do that much on the ball and he's not a, a defensive stopper, is really more two guard size than three size. Certainly at this point, he doesn't really help you win. Maybe he needs more on ball reps, but I don't know if he has quite enough juice there. Uh, I, I think he might be sort of in the jack of all trades, master of none area overall as a prospect. The Wizards defense, seeing it in person against a high powered team like the Clippers I and mean, it's just hopeless for them and it's not even that there are all these like scheme issues necessarily like they weren't just like giving up wide open back cuts or miscommunications it was just each individual had no chance at stopping their guy <laughs> and and when there were the rare times that that individual was guarded by someone who had a chance of stopping them they just involved Isaiah Thomas in a screen uh, like every transition situation that Paul George dribbled up he just found Isaiah Thomas this guy got a screen from him they went under and Paul George just hit a three that's a part of how he got to the 27 points but Kawhi was just scoring all over them Kawhi and PG both had 30 and, and as mentioned they put up a buck 50 in a game that uh was not competitive well and what exactly what exacerbates things for the Wizards and this is similar to Cleveland last year which had just a spectacularly bad defense is they don't have anybody who can clean up the messes either so if you give up that initial penetration which they do all the time then congratulations they're getting something and that becomes a problem i haven't liked the wizards transition defense either they're just they're they're a bad defense and yeah well and when you say clean up the the messes they have no rim protection and nobody get a defensive rebound right yeah so they're it, that's a big big problem and they're fouling a lot they're 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 bottom 10 well they're 20th or worse than all four defensive four factors i believe they're the only team in the nba that that's true for they actually um, somehow at least according to basketball reference are 15th enforcing turnovers maybe you're cleaning the glass i think yeah i think that's i think that's garbage time cleaning the glass has them at 20th okay yeah, the, 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 those but numbers can be I just want to take so. a brief second. We're, I mean, we've been hammering their defense, but it's worth hammering. That they have the number four offense in the NBA. And it's not that they're below C-level on net rating. They're getting outscored by 5.1 points per possessions with the number four offense in the league. That is incredible. Yeah, I mean, there have been teams that have been a top five offense and have had losing records. Uh, I think a couple of people have looked at that recently. But yeah, I mean, that's that's a pretty, I think there was like a Golden State team in the 2000s that just, you know, went all offense with their lineups, uh, kind of the way the Wizards have had to. Scott Brooks uh, was asked pregame for that Clippers game. Well, hey, have you ever considered, because you're not stopping anyone anyway, to maybe just going like all offense? And he said, well, isn't that what we're doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> and then he said you know channeled Allen Iverson he's like defense defense uh this is after he got his jersey retired at, at UC Irvine the, the day before so maybe maybe he was in a nice mood at least until after they gave up a buck 50 all right that's enough on them maybe we should do let's do a let's do the Sixers um okay 15 and 6 7 and 1 since the last 15 and 60 their plus 5.7 net rating is 8th in the NBA 17th in offense now up to 3rd in defense remember they were I think something like 8th or ninth the last time we did this and 538 projects them to win 57 which will be 3rd in the in the east and we've we've talked a fair amount about the the Sixers recently because we've we did their game for the NBA cast and everything else but there still are are some storylines worth discussing yeah and I wanted to look at Joel Embiid I decided to focus on him after he had that miserable 0 for 11 zero point night against uh, Marcus Gasol a couple of weeks ago and in that game their late game offense 
was Josh Richardson pick and rolls shooting from the free throw line. That's good defense at Toronto, obviously. And I also noted after we talked about their game against Utah that Embiid is somewhat susceptible to you know really good defense, and they don't have a great way to get him easy buckets, especially with this group. And so think about Danny what their lineup looked like for 17-18, and then the beginning of last year versus now. Yeah, they got Butler about a month into the season last year, but even then they still had JJ available before that it was reddick sharich covington simmons as an Embiid, which was a really good lineup that was a lineup that killed people in 1718 they had marco fultz they had to deal with too but then he he was out of there relatively quickly last year so that was really a lineup even with simmons that level of shooting was probably about as good as you could hope for when you're also going to have simmons and Embiid out there um now of course it's much different their defense is a lot better certainly i think they have a better overall team but as far as Embiid's numbers it's more difficult in terms of his post Stops. Numbers are actually a little bit better this year. He's doing it more 35% of the time instead of 30% last year. Spotting up more this year. Oh, wait, hold on. Let me zoom in. No, spotting up just a little bit less this year, but shooting the three ball a little bit better where he really has struggled. Last year, he was a really bad roll man. 29th percentile, nine or 0.95 points per possession. 0.72 points per possession as a roll man this year. And I'm guessing with their spacing issues, a lot of those... Uh, are pick and pops and maybe he just doesn't have to be shooting as well out of pick and pop as he is for just pure spot ups but i mean that is just awful and he's not a great role man he's not a great alley-oop guy not really a gravity guy they don't have a lot of spacing but you see how it's just he can't get easy points and then you throw in a lot of those role men plays last year too were probably plays in the handoff game with jj reddick where he then rolled to the basket they don't have that option any longer another thing that i thought was really interesting is this year he's averaging two post-ups shots per game with under four on the shot clock and you think about that how often post-ups aren't really conducive to scoring late in the clock because it's so much easier to double team you got to back down take your time if they do double you need to be able to throw it out swing it around and so they're throwing the ball into him in the post late in the clock as their best option to create a shot and he just has to and he's not shooting particularly well on those plays Another thing that I noted though, and I didn't compare this to last year, but 134 shots or turnovers out of the post, only 44 passes out of the post that led to a shot. That's not a great ratio, especially when you consider that this guy is your supposed to be this dominant force. And it seems like they're not able to force those hard double teams and maybe teams are gapping a little bit more, but not actually having to go for a hard double team. So he really is not working as, you know, sort of your Hakeem Olajuwon, right? He's, he's, the ultimate we're just going to throw it into him you got a double granted those under the old rules we got a bunch of three-point shooters that's our offense we throw it into the post him early double team and then we move it around they're just we haven't seen those type of sequences from him finally where he has been most effective 1.3 points per possession on what's designated on synergy as flash middle and that's basically the hard post up right at the charge circle and we've seen them run effective late game action for him on those out of timeouts but it's worth noting for those who say he's not as good a shape that's when he's going to be most efficient well that takes a lot of work right because for every maybe three or four times that you duck in hard like that you're only going to get the ball once if you just post up 15 feet from the basket you're pro- you're going to get the ball now it doesn't so you're working harder and you got to do it three times for every one that you have to just stand there and ask for the ball so you really got to be in good shape 
to ask for the ball right at that charge circle and get those most efficient plays um i was really impressed with how much more he was doing that at the start of last year when i think he was in better shape than at the start of this year uh and again they had more spacing to facilitate that as well so just just a little bit of a look at where he's at some of the changes that have occurred in his game but i do think ultimately if they want to be a championship team he's got to play better than he has well winter time is upon us yeah we don't get that much weather here in the bay area not like a lot of you listeners back east but it's 50 and rainy cloudy kind of weather that makes you want to burrow into your couch but what if your couch isn't that good Maybe it's time for an upgrade with a new burrow couch with the holidays coming up. You might be having guests over, maybe your family. You might be upgrading with a new TV or a gaming system. Eh, maybe upgrade your furniture as well or ask for one for Christmas as well. And get a new burrow couch, maybe a new burrow rug. They got rugs now too. Ours is holding up extremely well. So far, we got two cats. They are always running all over it. They dig their claws in. I, I yell at them to stop. And then I look over like, oh, actually it held up pretty well. The beauty of Burrow, in addition to the durability, is they're customizable. Pick your fabric color, your favorite fabric color, I should say, your leg finish, your armrest style, and your length. Ours is a love seat, but if we want to upgrade, we can do that by getting a, a third cushion. Maybe your family size increases. You can even add a Chase Lodge or an Ottoman or both. Each sofa comes with built-in USB chargers for when you're binge watching. Don't have to worry about recharging your phone. And we can tell you now that they offer more than just sofas. Their Genius Sleep Kit transforms your comfy sofa into an even comfier bed. And they just launched their collection of functional, affordable rugs and coffee tables. Great styling there to go along with the beautiful mid-century style of your burrow sofa. So you can get $75 off a new sofa and free one-week shipping. Critical to be ready for the holidays at burrow.com slash capspace that's b-u-r-r-o-w burrow.com you burrow into it burrow.com slash capspace for 75 dollars off a new burrow sofa and don't forget the slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us all right the orlando magic danny the, it seems like you're you're like kind of obsessed with the magic it seems like over these last couple of years I, is it john isaac is that what what the appeal is i don't know what the appeal is <laughs> I, I I mean I I think it's just that they've been a kind of a test case for a few different theories and, and ideas that I've had and this year one of them is that they basically swapped out their point guard and until Vooch got hurt largely kept the rest of their roster pretty similar and so I thought that was interesting and obviously Fultz and DJ Augustine are very different players so I, I was I was interested in that and I do love John Isaac I think they've been a, a good defensive team and Steve Clifford with a new franchise what's been different what's been similar so yeah a lot of a lot of different things their games aren't necessarily the most watchable though they do play a lot of close ones including that just terrible game against the Warriors where for whatever reason the Magic couldn't score even though they had a ton of open looks maybe that reason is that they can't shoot um it, they've been starting Ken Birch with Vucevic being out and They've done fairly well. Uh, the combination of Fournier, Isaac, and Birch, in, when that trio is played together, they're, they're above even plus plus 0.3 net rating in 310 possessions. Early on, they had a really bad offense and, and really good defense, great defense in those minutes. After they played the Wizards in particular, that started to, to shift more to a, a normal distribution. But I, I think what's been 
and 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 being being even is I think somewhat notable because remember that Aaron Gordon was out for a lot of that time too. So and and Minu's now missing. Yeah, time yeah, as we, well. talk, so we haven't mentioned it, that actually that he's got a meniscus injury. No timeline given yet, uh, but that could basically ruin his season. I mean, it's going to be a minimum of eight weeks. So uh, that's th- maybe they'll get a little more offense on the floor. Although I mean, it's probably realistically it's going to mean either Wundu or Carter Williams, who's back now from that hip issue, playing more. So maybe th- th- those guys are probably actually even worse offensively than Aminu is. I would argue that they are. Yeah. So that that'll be a real challenge. Um, but so something I wanted to look at just briefly. I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on this too far. Other than lamenting that Clifford has only played Jonathan Isaac at center for forty-seven possessions all season. It's just something I want to see. Um, is the difference between Fultz and, and Augustine? And I used Fournier as the proxy because he's. The, he's a starter, like an unambiguous starter who has largely stayed healthy. So something I wanted to look at was comparing the minutes that Markel Fultz and DJ Augustine have played with the starters this year. That was a change that Steve Clifford made earlier in the season. And Fournier was a good proxy to use there because he's a, a clear starter who has stayed healthy and who can't use Gordon, can't use Vooch. And Fultz and Fournier together, Magic have actually had a very good offense. I would say unsustainably good. 114-2 offensive rating. They haven't turned the ball over, and they've been yeah, solid on the offensive glass. Part you know, of that Fultz is probably helps. because Fournier is having a ridiculous shooting season so far. 45% from three, 52% on long twos, and 62% true shooting overall. Right, and, and so that, that does really help it. And his hot streak has, at least to some extent, coincided with that. I mean, he's been great all year, but yeah. to coincide with that. And then... The DJ Fournier minutes, I mean, it's easy, especially when you're a point guard, to point to, well, the offensive rating is seven points worse per 100 possessions. Goes from 114 to 107. The net rating is actually almost identical, and the defense has been better, sample size issues, all that kind of stuff. And what I found interesting was the Fultz Fournier numbers offensively are similar to the DJ Fournier ones last year, and Augustine just can't find a shot to save his life. So in some ways, a DJ Augustine who can't shoot is sort of similar to Markel Fultz in some ways. And I think that Fultz has done better overall than I anticipated. And it might be that with the structure, especially when Vooch is healthy, that they just don't need as much from the point guard position. Also, their defense is so good that it's, it's you know, we, it would really elevate them if they could get somebody who's better than Markel. So, yeah, I, I think I, I understand why they're, they were more optimistic on Markel than I was. You know, I think he's he's done well overall, but I still think the Magic, you know, Weltman and and the front office could benefit from bringing somebody else in the mix unless they think that Augustine can bounce back. And I, there isn't a reason structurally for me. I mean, he's not getting to the basket as much this year, that kind of stuff to think, oh, he's just toasty toast. I think that it, it's it's an interesting Yeah, question. Hollinger, when we've talked about them, if he thinks that they have a move to make, I'm not sure what that is or that there's any star who would want to come there. I think just overall tastes have changed to where they're not necessarily a free agent destination anymore just because it's warm there. Uh, See, to me, they have a move to make, but I think it's a trade. Yeah, well, no, I, I think, think that, that you, that's you what get he somebody meant. in. I mean, but because yeah. uh, he, if the trade is made, well, but who are they getting who's a difference maker who's under contract long enough or would want to stay there if he is going to be a free agent? So that's, that's the. I, I agree with you. It's not a free agency move, but if you're going to get a player who's like a star or something, he's got to want to actually stay there at, at this point in time, which I wouldn't see. Yeah, that, that's true. Or, or what I would look at is potentially trading for somebody who's in their early, in the early stages of the rookie scale contract. So maybe they're that. In the problem there is Vooch and Terrence Ross, but 
maybe go after somebody using Aaron Gordon as the bait yeah. there. Well, well know, he might and, need to shoot better than 29% from three to, to have that actually be Yeah, that would help. That would help. And and also remember that the Magic aren't exactly this deep team. So if, let's say, they're swapping Aaron Gordon for a guard, well, then they need to replace Aaron Gordon in the rotation, and maybe that's Al Farouk Aminu, but maybe not. And so it, it they don't have the wing depth unless a Wundu really steps up to answer that question. So... It, it's a really challenging situation. It's not like they have all these extraneous assets. It is nice that they don't have to have the Mozgov money hanging out there, but more, I would say it's more for 2020 purposes. But yeah, it, it, it's a tough situation because they're, they, and we talked about this when they signed Vooch and Ross, that it was such a big decision for the front office to make because they're pretty well set on this team for the next couple of years. And remember, they're going to have to pay Markel Fultz at some point too, maybe, or, or somebody else, somebody for that spot. A couple other small notes here. Mo Bamba, somehow is shooting only 59% around the rim with like the tallest standing reach in NBA history. That's not amazing. Aminu, maybe this injury has lingered for, I, I think it was an acute thing, but I almost hope that he was injured because he was playing so badly. He was shooting 44% around the rim. He had one dunk all season, shooting 25% from three. He was taking 25% of his shots from floater range and making 19% of those. I, I said, oh, it's it, Aminu is better offensively than a Wundu or Carter Williams. Well, yeah, Aminu, if he were healthy, might have been a bet to play better than those guys going forward, but those guys should just be able to supplant the, the production that he was giving them at least. So maybe that'll actually, at least compared to what they were doing before, it may actually help them to have him out. Um, all right, should we get to the Knicks here? I guess we have to. The Knicks are 4-17. and 17. They lost all seven games since the last 15 and 60. They are now 28th in net rating. 30th in offense, 22nd, which still seems better than I expected. In defense, 538 projects them to win 18 games, which is hey, the hey, last hey, in hey, the Eastern no, Conference. Don't be so negative. That's one more than last year. And it's also seven less than anybody else in the entire NBA. projected to have right now. Yeah, that, that's the 538 projections. They think the Cavs are going to have 25. The Warriors are going to have 26. I actually think that Warriors one might... We'll, we'll, see, how, we'll see how when they get guys back. But... I, I got into what well, I didn't get into it a little bit. My my uh, former colleague uh, Sean Devaney of of then of the Sporting News um, when we used to work together there. He ta- we talked a little bit. He was about he was talking about how like the Knicks and building and you know like at least that they're using young guys now. And I brought up the point that yeah they are ostensibly you know they didn't bring in high priced player big name players over their young guys, but they also to me didn't put any of their players, especially the young ones, R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson most notably, in position to succeed. And that ties in with the idea of bringing in Julius Randle, who I think is a talent, but just doesn't make sense with this team. Yeah, that was the contract that I was the least down on of uh, the guys that they brought in because he at least is young enough to grow with this group. I think he's better as a sixth man and they're paying him a starter type of money and they're uh, pretty much always going to start him. But he's having a very, very disappointing year compared to years past. A few things that we can note here. Generally don't like to use field goal percentage, but in the case of Randall, I think it's useful. Shot 52% from the field last year, and he's 45% from the field this year. Last year, shot 69% around the rim. That's down to 65% this year. But I think when you look at his play types, uh, and also worth noting that he's shooting 25% from three. He's already taken 76 threes. So that's that's really hurting him. He was actually about 35% last year, though you wondered if that was going to sustain. The play types are, are pretty interesting here because 
last year he got out a ton in transition new orleans uh, played one of the fastest paces in the league this year uh, that's gone from 17 percent of his possessions to 12 percent. most common used play type is spotting up now it was transition before remember also that the, some of those spot ups are are drives off of spot up situations the post he's really gone down we mentioned how, how much worse he's shooting it from three a lot of those the spot ups but it's gone from 0.92 points per possession, which is right about average, down to 0.86. ISO is also really bad. Again, I mean, this is a guy who should be a pretty good ISO player. Last year, he was 70th percentile in isolations. This year, he's down to 41st percentile. And I think the biggest thing, though, in addition to the lack of spacing, the lack of transition, basically not getting any easy buckets anymore, is a massive decline in his percentage of baskets from two that were assisted. He was around 50% with that last year. Now he's in the 20s in terms of his percentage of two pointers that are assisted. And this is a big man too. I mean, most big men, you're going to have a fair number of your shots around the basket assisted and they don't have anyone who can pass. They don't have any spacing. He's got to do a lot of the setting up. So it's just, a. I, I don't think he's any different of a player other than the fact that he's just not hitting as many three pointers, but just the system is different and he's not the kind of player who is just going to make an, an offense all on his own the way he was before um also worth noting here before we move on ian begley reporting that david fisdale is expected to be fired soon that's per a person in the organization who would not be making the decision but would be in a position to know according to him uh woge also saying earlier in november that the firing was inevitable begley also reporting that steve mills and scott perry could be in trouble so the question i want to ask you here is do you put their current woes on dolan because begley reporting he's kind of stayed out of the way when it was phil jackson he stayed out of the way with mills and perry i don't know if i believe that report but is this on dolan or is it on the guys that he hired obviously he has ultimate responsibility but that was the insinuation that these guys have kind of been screwing it up and dolan's been staying out of the way and was told by these guys that they would have players coming dolan goes on the radio says that he was going they're going to and then they didn't get him if dolan really wanted to inspire confidence in me he would hire somebody that i have confidence in as a general (laughs) manager and then would probably take the job i mean Perry, we talked about it when he was with the Kings, and he wasn't the the key. He wasn't the sole decision maker because Vlade was involved. It was a a, a multi pronged front office at that point. He re- they responded to what was a disastrous twenty seventeen off season for the Kings, where they signed George Hill and Zebo, both terrible contracts, to bringing in Perry and. I, I haven't seen much to to think that that. And we t- we talked about this a little bit in the all decade stuff with Mills. So it's possible. But if the person, so let's say it is Mills and, and Perry that are screwing this up, that Dolan hired them. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. Like, it, it's very hard. Well, well so, so here's, here's one me, thing. Yeah. Here, here's yeah. what happens. Dolan should just throw a massive amount of money on the table to, we could, we could throw yeah. out like the, 10 to 15 There's a report people. of uh, Masai Ujiri. Again, yeah, they supposedly been interested yeah. in him for years. And just say, you can do whatever the hell you want. I'm going to be, you know, I'll be, I'll treat you the way that's, that Holt treats Pop and RC in in san antonio and hopefully one of them takes it maybe they just think oh that's never going to happen and, and and doesn't do it but if you throw enough money on the table i think one of them presti or somebody would and then they don't believe it but until that point like it, this is kind of like to me there's a parallel where uh Lakeup talked joe Lakeup talked about this when mark jackson got fired about how mark jackson had carte blanche to hire a coaching staff and he basically just hired people who who weren't wouldn't challenge him who weren't particularly 
highly regarded within the coaching community. So this is the opportunity for Dolan to prove himself. So right now I'm going to put it on Dolan. And if he if he changes his stripes, then I'll put it on the end. Well, a couple of things that, that I'll add to that. Number one, he's still clearly insane. Whether it's the Charles Oakley stuff, the negative publicity from that, whether it's berating, I mean, I don't know if he berated them, but he certainly forced Mills and Perry to do a press conference before the coach after talking to them at halftime because they were losing that game. I mean, that's completely insane. So regardless of whether they want the story to be, oh no, it's actually Dolan is staying out of it, I'll believe that when he hires he's actually able to get someone good certainly his reputation also has indicated that he can't get those people because he's so incompetent he also i mean who knows whether it was uh, a self-denying prophecy going on the radio and saying they're going to get all these guys and then maybe they didn't want to go there after he said that uh even if they were planning on going there before because he just leaked it and wasn't trustworthy i don't know whether i believe that but that's a, a hypothesis uh and then also you look at the amount of resources that they had and just every person that they hired you basically knew that they sucked when they hired them right like isaiah thomas didn't do a good job in toronto didn't have good experience i guess donnie walsh who actually is the only one who really executed any kind of a plan for the knicks although they still weren't able to get lebron or anything they at least you know were able to create some cap space they had some young guys then dolan interferes in the carmelo trade but maybe they're really uh, we're starting to build something that might have been somewhat sustainable with guys like gallinari and and some first round picks um so donnie walsh is really the only person they've hired who you weren't like oh this guy is terrible when they first got him mills i mean he's been in and out perry you mentioned how it's pretty obvious how bad he was gonna be phil jackson zero executive experience whatsoever when he was hired was gonna run the triangle i mean it was just sorry i know he's a good name but you know pay him pay this guy 12 million a year just for like i mean so much of it seems to just be about like pr deflection with him all right that's probably enough on them Let's turn to the Milwaukee Bucks, 18-3, and 8-0 since the last 15 and 64. They won 11 straight now, 11.7 net rating, second-ranked offense, second-ranked defense, project for 61 wins. They're going to make the playoffs. And what you wanted to talk about here is just like, we're just expected from these guys at this point. They're back up to number one in net rating after crushing the Hornets and Knicks in their last two games. And as you brought up, they've they've won. I think it is eleven straight. No, it's it's twelve straight. Yeah. Um, because they were they were six and three. And um, here are their three losses for the season. They lost at Utah by three. They lost that game against Boston in the Garden, the big Boston comeback. They lost that one. They lost by eleven. Those yeah, they were up twenty in that game. They're up twenty in that game. Like I, I, I fully expected when I actually kind of sort of stopped paying attention during the third quarter, and then Boston came back, and then of course watched the rest of it. And then they lost to Miami in the first week in overtime. And that's it. They, they it is true that to me the the Bucks have played a, a fairly soft schedule over the last little while helped by the good teams they played recently were without important players. They beat the Jazz without Gobert. They beat the, the Pacers without Malcolm Brogdon. But they're dominating the teams in front of them. And that's different most of the time than, than eking it out. And, yeah, I mean, they're they're the team to, to be the extent that we thought they were. And part of what makes me uncomfortable with the Bucks in the, this is a parallel, though they don't have the same track record as, as the Golden State Warriors a couple of years ago, where the criticisms that we levied, and I'll I'll, I'll say I levied because I've been more vocal about it than you, with the Malcolm Brogdon non-match and other things, those were never regular season criticisms. That was just, when push comes to shove, are they going to have enough? And so... I, I get into this mold with the Bucks where it's like, 
yeah, they're really good. They're exciting. Giannis is amazing. It's not, they're not a boring team in any way, shape, or form. But I just don't think, other than a few isolated things, one of which I want to talk about, that we're necessarily learning that much that is predictive. It's information, and it's useful, and I'm happy that we're getting it. But that's, it is a challenge. And I mean, we're having this conversation in December. We still have another few months of this, and I'm just kind of coming to grips with how to process a team that I watch all the time and enjoy watching that I'm not learning as much from. Yeah, even some of the chinks in the armor, we talked about how they weren't getting as many shots at the rim as last year. Now they're up to 12th with that again. Uh, Giannis, by just about any statistical measure, is now better. He's a little bit less efficient than last year, but he's turning it over less. 38% usage now getting to the foul line just as much as ever but he's upped his three-point attempt rate to 24% of his possessions actually are from downtown and frankly his efficiency would be probably right about where it was last year if he could make a free throw that's a little concerning to me I'm again more of a a postseason issue if he's going to be able to not hit free throws especially at the end of the game and can you even go to him at the end of the game uh as well three-point percentage up to 30 percent you know that's okay especially if it's off the dribble if it's in the half court if it's kind of a last resort um and they've also been getting some good stuff out of Dante DiVincenzo who had so many issues last year injury wise but now was outstanding in the absence of Chris Middleton yeah that was the 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 thing I was alluding to before DiVincenzo started 10 straight while Middleton was out average 10 and a half points five and a half rebounds two assists steal and a half in 26 minutes per game about league average true shooting, 55% on 16 and a half usage. I don't think you really want DiVincenzo doing that much more in that starting lineup. And it, I, I did find it interesting that, and this is a small sample size theater to be sure, he was more efficient overall as a starter, despite shooting 12% worse on threes. You know, that's a huge drop, 44% versus 32%. But the starting five has way more spacing. They have a better defense, so they can they can do more in transition. So I, I thought that DiVincenzo overall looked pretty good in that unit. I mean, he's obviously not as good as Chris Middleton, but... I don't know. I, I felt I felt better about the the ten game stint than I expected. Yeah, he has shown the best attacking the basket. Uh, pick and roll ball handler numbers have been pretty good, but I think he still needs to shoot better to be a part uh, a positive part of their postseason rotation. All right, Heat. We talked about Pacers. We're going to wait until the end because that's Ben's team. Pistons and Cavs. We already did. So let's turn to the seven and fourteen Chicago Bulls. Three and four in their last seven. They a game tonight against the injured Grizz that they uh, definitely need to win. 20th in the NBA with a negative 3.4 net rating. The offense, the big disappointment here, 26th. Defense is 14th. That's pretty good. Actually, I mean, I know there's been a lot of criticism of the Bulls defense. They are relying a lot on forcing turnovers. When they go against good teams in particular, they have really struggled defensively. They do better against bad teams. Good teams don't turn it over as much. They're going to be able to pass over the top of some of those aggressive pick and roll coverages. They also are, uh, you could say we're almost... Uh, not single-handedly but at least 50 percent responsible for carmelo anthony getting player of uh western conference story oh i'm sorry i mean player uh, of the week um 28 wins projected for 12th in the conference five percent odds at the playoffs uh, according to 538 but defensively when you consider the personnel that's been available no auto porter for basically the whole year i think that's pretty decent and if they played a more 
conventional style yeah they've got Wendell Carter at the basket who I think can do some things but everyone else really is not that good on their defense you know Chris Dunn can force some turnovers but he's not gonna be a part of their closing group most of the time Sadoransky is okay but Levine is terrible Markinen is terrible Chandler Hutchinson is out again or Hutchison I should say um they're playing a lot of these three point guard lineups that as Darnell Mayberry pointed out the other day actually has a positive net rating that's a white Archdiakono and Dunn all together but those lineups have also been criticized but who else are you supposed to play they have no, they have they have no wings they, they have no twos even I, I mean i guess sadaransky is kind of two sides i still think he should be playing more uh than he has been he's been more aggressive scoring lately um i would like to see kobe white playing a little bit more as an actual point guard he has only seven possessions at point guard this season without either sadaransky dunn or archdiakono part of that again is no auto border white's numbers in the pick and roll are really really bad too 0.72 points per possession that's his most common play type as a spot up guy he's been pretty efficient the other problem that he has is he's only making 47 percent at the rim and the bulls overall just aren't making shots at the rim their shot distribution is excellent but they just can't score when they actually get to the basket uh white in particular has had 23 shots blocked already and he only has two and one so that's usually an interesting ratio to look at of what kind of a finisher you are but i do think that he's getting to the basket and uh, missing a lot of shots and it can look ugly but in contrast to say garland white looks way more athletic to me than garland he's got a lot more speed he's getting to the basket finishing is probably the biggest thing that young point guards improve on in addition to not turning it over and white is attacking the rim a lot out of pick and roll he's just not able to finish some of the layups that he's generating um also might actually help him to pass a little bit on some of those plays as well so i'm not hitting the panic button yet on white i know he's been really inefficient there's a lot of point guards who are inefficient i've seen other things from him that have looked pretty good i mean maybe he just devolves into being you know a lou williams type of scorer off the bench i mean obviously with the number seven pick if he has lou williams career you'd be really happy uh i don't think he's going to be that level of player necessarily but uh, i'm not going to give up on him yet as as being their point guard of the future so well and, and and also this is something i brought up back when we did the film analysis of Co- of white what i liked was even if he's not a starting caliber lead offensive player he has nice he has some nice pieces to be a complimentary player you know the spot up shooting and also second unit point guard incredibly valuable niche within the league so yeah maybe the lou williams thing you know that that i mean was my number two six man of the decade like that that's a pretty pretty lofty bar for even even if lou didn't wasn't a regular starter but i that's one thing i like about kobe white it's why i think teams should draft point guards more frequently than some of them do right now is because they can provide value even if they don't get all the way to their ceiling and if he gets to the ceiling then he's awesome he's starter and all that all right let's turn to the charlotte hornets here eight and 14 two and six since the last 50s and 60 we talked about their miserable loss to phoenix but they've also wait sorry two and six both of their wins over the detroit pistons (laughs) so weird yeah, in close games. I mean, Charlotte, despite the fact that they've blown the, uh, had maybe two of the worst blown leads of the season late in games in that Phoenix and Bulls game, they still are actually quite above water in the clutch for the season. Uh, cause generally when they lose, they get completely blown out. And that's why at eight and 14, they have the 26th best net rating in the NBA, negative 7.9. 19th on offense shockingly high i thought these guys would be the worst offense in the league like clearly but 29th now in defense and that doesn't seem like it's going to be getting better 
anytime soon they project for well over their 23 win over under at 26 wins uh two percent odds at at the playoffs and one of the big reasons that their offense has been totally respectable is Devonte graham yeah Devonte graham suffered a little bit in my eyes for, for from my own analysis of being somebody that we don't watch in college you know he had a, had a four-year career at kansas and had a terrible rookie year 10.3 per 46% true shooting. The offense wasn't good when he was on the floor. And granted, there were all sorts of issues with the non-Kemba Hornets last year. And so Graham, was it, that was his age 23 season. He kind of thought, oh, well, you know, it doesn't always work out. And he's really grown. And some of it might not be sustainable, but he's looked a lot more confident to me. And the so his shot distribution is not that different. Still only in the high teens for proportion of shots in the restricted area, mid to high 50s in three-point attempt rate. So more than half of his shots are coming from three and around 15% on mid-rangers, which he's actually shooting worse on so far this year. But there are a couple of, uh, of huge differences. And this is not a film analysis. I just want to go through some of the basics because I was so fascinated with this. And I've watched a fair amount of the Hornets, as I often do for whatever reason. That's the one I think you should criticize me because I don't know why I watch this team so much. Um, I, I wasn't criticizing you. I think no. it's, it's part of our brand. That yeah, we, it's that true. We watch these. My these... My, ra- my random obsession with the Orlando Magic. Um, oh, but fucking so, uh, Southeast Division, man. It's well, a... it's also because the, the the Eastern the Eastern time zone teams. Like, I just randomly get fixated on certain teams. Yeah, because because you're always they're I mean, always first, well, and well, I get sucked and, into games. And yeah, because we're if we're gonna watch games on a certain night, it's also that a lot of those bad teams in the East start playing at four on the West mm-hmm. Coast, and, and like the other the ones good, start at four thirty. Yeah, the good teams start. A lot of them start at four. 30 because they're uh bigger cities although the sixers started uh started for a lot of that's times. true but but they but play yeah. a lot of primetime games and all that right, um, but but charlotte washington uh orlando i think like they like the, the those teams all start at four so when they're playing at home it's like that might be the only game on so and, and it's the and on also like sometimes it can be an opportunity to see other people anyway let's get back to Devonte graham Devonte graham last year he shot 28% on 6.4 three-pointers per 36 minutes. Huge spikes in both of those. So the 28% is up to 40%. It was actually as high as, I think, 43 before he had a rough night against the Suns. And then, more, in some ways, more importantly, the 6.4 threes per 36 is up to 12. That is a, a huge jump. And he's improved his... Well, efficiency that, that, from that's three. not like a huge jump for him that's like other than james harden like pretty close to the top of the league i mean that is just a crazy number that's like more threes per 36 minutes than steph curry was taking in uh 15 16 or, or it's like right around the same number basically and also graham had that improvement in efficiency we'll see how much of it sticks because uh it's a lot more self-created before last year 77 percent of his threes were assisted that's all the way down to 50 percent. so he's doing half self-created which is pretty damn good and uh, i mean so he's gone from one point per possession on catch and shoot to 1.3 and 0.8 on shots off the dribble to 1.1 so even if those equalize a, regress a little bit to the mean he's shooting I, I i and the confidence that he has in his stroke and it, mechanically it looks good to me so maybe not a 40 percent guy but if it's closer to 36 percent than 28 i think that's really significant um his issues has gone up his assist rate has gone up even though he's playing a lot now with terry rozier those guys are both starting for the hornets partially because they're probably better than their, their other options there 
And then the other big part, a lot of times when a player is an active three-point shooter and making a lot of them, that becomes a dominant part of their game. But he, but Javante Graham's getting to the line more too, and that's something that's really encouraging for me. It, he's getting to the line 24% of his shots, you know, the free throw attempt rate. And that is a difference for the amount of minutes he's playing of about two free throws per game per 36 minutes. And that's huge. You know, those he's a, he's a capable yeah. three point free throw shooter, three point shooter. And so, yeah, well, I, well, quickly on the free throw rate thing, he, if you just, for a lot of guys, if you can maintain your free throw rate as your usage goes up, I think that's actually impressive uh, because now you're actually taking so many more shots. And so in raw numbers, he's getting to the foul line a lot more because the usage is up, even if as a percentage. You know, I never liked the free throw to field goal percentage or, or, or free throw attempt to field goal attempt ratio necessarily. Uh, I think as an on an overall team level, I think it's useful. But for players, sometimes maybe it's not as useful because you're still getting your team to the line a, a fair amount overall. Um, it's it's an imperfect way of looking at it. I'm, uh, but when you're evaluating a guy, if you can just increase your usage and keep the same free throw to field goal percent, I, I think that's actually you know you're still getting to the line more in raw terms so that that's it's worth noting for him at least um but but so what do you think of him now do you think of him as like a starting point guard in the nba i'm not all the way there yet i think that we're that by the end of the year i might be be there but i do think that he's at least a rotation guy who can on this team that the hornets just need creation and need shooting i mean they've gotten they have a lot of shooting surprisingly more than we thought they did but I'm not all the way there yet. Yeah, I, I mean, we got to see if this three-point shooting holds up. He right. did have a if, good, a good three-point shooting. Uh, right, and when and there. when it goes bad, I mean, there were parts of that Phoenix game where you know he's taking the same shots within the flow, but if it's you know if it's not going in forty percent of the time, that it's it, it it can look pretty gross. I mean, so. yeah, yeah, but I mean, he's averaging eighteen points and almost eight assists on pretty good efficiency. Yeah, and leading the team in minutes, so I I, I think. There definitely is something there for sure. Agreed. Yeah, I think there's something there. How much of a something we're gonna? It's gonna need a little bit more time. But I've been extremely encouraged and doing that in his second year, age 24 season. It's reminding me of something that uh, Seth Partnow and I've, I've talked about at moments in time, which is thinking about a player's age, but also thinking about their NBA experience is kind of two two different parts of of the conversation. All right, three more teams here before we we bring in Ben. The Nets. 10 and 10, 5 and 2 in their last seven, a healthy 6 and 3 in the nine games that Kyrie Irving has missed. He will miss still at least the next two games. He's not going to travel with the team to Atlanta and Charlotte. He hasn't done any contact work yet with that shoulder impingement. Negative 0.8 net rating is 18th in the NBA, 16th on offense. Very, very respectable. All of a sudden, 18th on defense. They've gotten much better there. And it does seem like if you just force teams to shoot from the right areas, that you know maybe you can have the 20th ranked defense even if it can look really bad at times we talked to a couple of weeks ago about how they're just laying the center back all the way at the rim under all circumstances can be exploited and they give up a lot to pick and roll ball handlers they give up this high percentage in the mid-range but you're still you can kind of game the math a little bit and then really what's been pushing what they've been doing is the work of Spencer Dinwiddie without Dinwiddie on the floor during this period with uh, with Irving and remember Karis LeVert is out too the Nets are a Hawks without Trey Young-esque 90 points per 100 possessions in 137 minutes with Dinwiddie on the floor looks a lot better one 
11.8 offensive rating and he's got 30 percent. yeah go ahead sorry that's where i was gonna go is his role within the offense when did we spend the floor he's been at depending on how the nets guard rotation has looked over the last few years with lavert and d'lo and everything else his his free usage has changed right now 30 percent usage and scoring 58 percent true shooting which is which is very good for the role that he has, but also that 37 assist percentage. And so he has a hand in so much of what the Nets are doing because he's really their creator with that lineup. And when they have a 112 offensive rating in those minutes, I think they have to be happy with that. The other thing that's so impressive uh, about what he's doing is that his efficiency is high and it's almost all self-created. 47% of his shots coming out of the pick and roll per synergy and then a further 20% for isolation. So 67% of his offense is self-created and then you throw in another 12% in transition. Usually point guards don't have the greatest numbers in transition because and to be clear these are season long numbers now don't have the greatest numbers in transition because they're pushing it if the ball gets turned over a, a lot of times that goes on on them uh, when and transition is a higher turnover situation a lot of the times and usually it's the bigs uh, or the guys running the wing who have the better numbers in transition but Dinwiddie 1.44 points per possession in transition 93rd percentile he's 25 out of 41 in transition again a lot of that is especially with this group now him just pushing the ball and creating something so you throw another another 12 percent you'd say almost 80 percent of his offense is self-created and he still has this great efficiency and the team as with him as the only ball handler on the team at all is 111 offensive rating. Mean, he has been, you know, D'Angelo Russell was in somewhat of a similar situation when Dinwiddie was out last year and Lavert was out, but Dinwiddie is doing far more even than Russell was doing in that situation a year ago. Those numbers come before they play the Hawks on Wednesday. We can see that get even more sparkling. <laughs> Okay, let's talk uh, Boston Celtics here. What are their fundamentals? The Celtics are 14-5, and 3-3 three and three since the last 1560. Still a strong 6th in net rating, ninth in offense, 5th in defense, and 538 projects them to win 52 games, which, are, which would put them fourth in the eastern conference yeah so it seems like they've fallen off a, a little bit you know they were 11 and 2 at one point truthfully though without gordon hayward i think they've treaded water pretty well they definitely miss him uh i think that their offense as you noted dropping down to ninth uh, has fallen off still to be fifth in defense with these guys it is outstanding work i mean they have one of the most surprising defenses in the nba to me part of that is because they don't play cancer as much daniel tice has really helped them um and then offensively jalen brown it can continues on a nice upward trajectory trajectory let's try trajectory well i mean he started as a project so maybe it is a trajectory <laughs> yeah maybe we should maybe i just created a a term trajectory the uh prospect all right no this is no good statistically though he's been a lot better this year yeah he has and there are improvements in, in a lot of different areas he's making i i think he looks like a more confident jump shooter but for me the the bigger difference is i, I think he's i think he looks more comfortable and confident as a as a driver and and sometimes that that can be borne out statistically sometimes it's more about the eye test but he just he he's not as frantic as he used to be getting into the bat getting in the lane yeah that's uh to me is what showed up the most as a pick and roll ball handler this year that's now 
12% of his work going up from only 6% a year ago and almost has two-thirds as many pick and roll possessions as he had all last year right now. 62nd percentile as a pick and roll ball handler especially with Kemba Walker being out for a couple of games he did a lot more in those games and what's really stood out as you alluded to is the patience he used to pell-mell fly into guys off the pick and roll didn't have an awareness of his surroundings when you go a little bit slower and he always had a pretty creative handle he just needed to tighten it up and I think he's getting to that point now but he's getting the guy on his back. He's using his big body to create space. When he gets into the lane, he's pump faking a lot, taking his time, or then able to dime up shooters if the help comes. He used to be very susceptible on those pell-mell drives to guys digging in from the wings and knocking the ball away. But if you attack at a little bit slower of a pace, it's harder for those guys to just take one quick step in, swipe at you as you're going by, and then get back to their man. It's more now you've gotten awareness of where they are they have to either commit to you or not if you're just going to kind of take your time and work your way into the lane so i've really been impressed with what i've seen from him we highlighted on the show a couple of weeks ago that on his drives he's passing more than he had been in past years well and, and something else just broader about brown that i think is is important is that his shot distribution has shifted away from some things that are usually you know easy efficiency points so like transition last year 30 percent of his possessions that's down to 23 you would expect you know a drop in efficiency there those are those are for a non-ball handler those are generally really efficient you're getting the ball only when you're in a good position to score more pick and roll ball handling more isolation and instead of instead of being less efficient now i think the mid-range shooting is going to take a step back just because it's been well above his career averages and even if he's better than his career averages maybe not at this level to make a harder shot mix a harder possession mix and be a more efficient player this is career high in true shooting at 58 percent you know that that's positive overall and and highest usage of his career even if it's not by much so you kind of i think sometimes about how a player's offensive role matures they have to do harder things jason tatum has dealt with this as well i mean he had all those spot ups in his rookie year and I think Brown, you know, he's not running the show or anything like that. But I think that's a, a nice a nice little feather in his cap is that he's been, been more efficient in tougher situations. Yeah. Also, turnover rate is a career low, only 9%. Getting on the defensive glass more as well. He had not been a, a great rebounder. They need uh, his rebounding uh, this year with a, a smaller group, not playing two bigs together as much. All right, let's uh, wrap up our section here, Danny, with the Atlanta Hawks. 5-16, and 1-7. and seven. They snapped their 10-game losing streak in my eyes. The goggles do nothing against the Warriors. <laughs> Not an attractive basketball game. Somehow the Warriors scored half as many points as the Rockets had a couple nights earlier. 158 versus 79 uh, in a game where Draymond Green didn't play. Obviously, uh, they, they started essentially like three forwards and two centers in that game but hawks still experiencing a massive struggle 29th negative 10.4 net rating 29th on offense i mean that is just a massive disappointment 27th on defense projecting for 30 wins still uh i think part of that is based on them getting some injured guys back and still a 12 percent chance at the playoffs in theory uh, not playing too well without trey young on the floor are they when trey young has been on the floor the hawks offense is middle of the road 109 offensive rating 50th percentile nothing nothing wrong with that and when you consider the added context that the surrounding talent hasn't been who they thought kevin herter is still on a minutes limit he's going to play 15 minutes on wednesday night or that's the max john collins his absence all that okay 
you know, 109 offensive rating when your starting point guard is on the floor, how can you be 29th in offense? The answer is, when Trey Young is not on the floor, they have a 92.7 offensive rating. That is in the first percentile. That's bad. And when Trey Young is off the floor and Evan Turner is on, and this is not all on Evan Turner's shoulders, the first percentile goes to the zeroth percentile. 89.7 offensive rating when, in, in if you just split out the Turner minutes. And I mean, they don't have a lot of guys that can generate much. They don't have, they don't have a ton of shooting that I trust. I think that the shooting could be better than it was. And it is not a surprise that those minutes are killing this team, but it is a surprise just how extreme, but also how prevalent they've had to be because how else are they going to do it? Yeah, now it's worth noting that with Trey on the floor, their defense is so much worse. Now, sure. keep in mind, he's also playing with Cam Reddish in a lot of those minutes. I mean, their starting lineup, he's playing with Damian Jones in a lot of those minutes. Yeah, their, their bench defense is better than their starter defense. I can't really think of why they would possibly be starting Jones over Alex on like they must just be maybe it's just because it's development they want to see if they have anything in Jones who will be a restricted free agent whereas Len can be an unrestricted free agent but uh, I mean they're not like out of the playoff mix yet like at least play your best guys I mean Len has provided some kind of rim production these guys can't get a defensive rebound that's a major problem Jones uh, has not helped there they are terrible shooting the ball from three uh even with Trey shooting it pretty well on some really difficult attempts i think herder hopefully can really help them there they've got nothing out of alan crab coming off of that knee injury he's been playing but uh you know has not been the knockdown shooter that they really need him to be len has shot it extremely poorly after a nice finish to last year from downtown so maybe he'll turn around if they get collins collins showed some flashes of rim protection before he got suspended well and it's also unfortunate for the hawks that it has become tougher sledding over the last couple weeks with the nets doing well in Kyrie Irving's absence. I mean, it's looking more to me like it's going to be somewhere between 38 and 40 wins to, to make it in the East when it looked like it might be as low as 35, 36. Um, yeah, and also I think it's worth noting the story of the last two years where for both conferences the number just keeps climbing the later we get into the season as teams either reload for the playoffs or go up against teams that are uh, developing players, shall we say, towards well, the end and, of the year. And speaking of developing players, I wanted to do a mini update on DeAndre Hunter, the rookie who Travis Schlenk gave up a ton of resources to move up and get. Hunter has started all 21 games for the Hawks, playing 32 minutes a game in his age 22 season, older than many rookies in the in the modern era, averaging 12 and 4. And what I thought was most interesting, this builds on something that we saw in the preseason, not as much in summer league, though it's not a surprise that you need to see a guy's game a little bit more before you start to do this, is that they've that Hunter has run 113 pick and rolls so far this season. He is they're, they're generating a .78 points per possession as a scorer, which is 39th percentile for scorers. Unfortunately for him, it's identical as a scorer plus passer, and that drops just because it's harder in many of those circumstances to score than to pass to somebody else. And that is about a, a fourth almost exactly a quarter of his offensive possessions. I, I, w- with the eye test, I think it's looked better than I expected, but it's not the, you know, what the end-all be-all for a team's offense. It's just something that you can go to in spots, maybe if you're looking to generate something. Yeah, and as a spot-up shooter, he actually hasn't disappointed. I think it's yeah, been about, uh, as advertised, it's just they're 
and it's not like they have a lot of other options here outside of Trey, but certainly the stuff inside the arc has been very inefficient. He has helped their defense to be sure, but when you look at who comes in behind him, that's a, not a huge surprise. I mean, I think he can be part of a good defense. I don't think he's going to make a good defense necessarily. Spring in Ben Dill, our director of basketball research now talk about the indiana pacers they're 13 and 7 sterling 5 and 1 in their last six games ninth in the nba with a 5.4 net rating 13th on offense that's pretty darn impressive considering victor lipdepo has been out all year ninth on defense projecting for a healthy 45 wins and 96 percent chance at the playoffs so ben take it away here what do you got in these guys this week i thought a fun place to start was with miles turner and specifically what he did in, in their their overtime win over Atlanta. They got down by as many as 17 in the first half, but the way obviously the team came back and won, but specifically for him, it kind of felt like an important way for him to just have a nice response on both ends of the floor. Having missed his first three threes in that game and the first two weren't even close. And a big dynamic with this team is, you know, and there was a sequence where when he's not spacing out, if Brogdon and Sabonis are running a pick and roll, for example, a, a, a high usage play for them, we saw Bruno Fernando just leave him to block Brogdon at the rim. So as that game went on, Turner kind of handling that dynamic of he still picked some spots to get into the post. And then defensively, he was a menace as you'd expect. But to do it against Trey Young, just the plays he was making on the roll guys a couple times as the lob was in the air from Young, it was just incredibly impressive. Yeah, Turner, uh, good to see him uh, finding his rhythm with Sabonis. Uh, one thing you noted here that I, I think is important is sixth in defensive rebounds. This is a team that really struggled on the defensive glass uh, that Young as good as he was defensively wasn't really a great defensive rebounder Turner is a horrible defensive rebounder so it seems like the Turner and Sabonis together minutes and Sabonis's defensive rebounding overall have really helped them in that area to be sixth in defensive rebound it's a massive upgrade from last year yeah and if you just filter down to this this six game stretch which would be these these last two weeks since the last 15 and 60 they're also they're also fifth overall so that's that's a an, an important thing for them and and, and you, all, you the the numbers have been good but the reason I looked up for it one of the one play that kind of prompted me as they were uh they put two on the ball on Trey Young and then Turner was the one who ended up on the other side of the floor to con- to contest a three and they didn't get the rebound so seeing a play like that kind of made you wonder at the same time ter- seeing Turner make a play like that certainly is well within his his capabilities but then if they're really relying on him to do so much of that whereas maybe Sabonis you know not so much you wouldn't want him running out to guys at the three-point line the three-point line it's interesting to see if if more of those plays happen happen to pile up against the really good pick and roll guys and the best best scorers so as good as the Bucks are playing it's looking like they really messed up by letting Malcolm Brogdon go 22 PR 59 percent true shooting was even in our discussion a little bit for all NBA when we did our award last week 26 percent usage uh, really has upped uh, his consumption offensively but i mean those are some pretty crazy numbers uh, getting a, a ton of assists as well how's he been doing it right now i mean he's shooting the ball really well from all over the court and if he can i mean he's another one of these guys that's kind of right at 50 percent from mid-range right now so if if some of the two-point jump shooting kind of comes down to earth a little bit that would be kind of one thing that you would expect he is 
per NBA.com, he's eight for 29 on pull up threes and just like seeing him really, I mean, shoot any of those or it was maybe a little bit of a surprise. And it's kind of a big, it's going to be a big swing thing to, to make him more of a, more of a big time option for yeah, Indiana. One thing forward. I can say on that, that's interesting. He's 33% from three this year. It, you mentioned that it, it, his volume has gone up, uh, at least in terms of the raw number of attempts is actually percentage of shot, his shots is threes are down a little bit because he is doing more driving. He has the ball more but that's as you'd expect right he was shooting this 40 percent from three coming into the season in milwaukee but we always felt hey maybe he could take more attempts he could be more dynamic and he's added a lot of these off the dribble threes as you said i thought he i always wanted to do more as a catch and shoot guy in milwaukee as well but i mean that's but that's fine though i mean i think he was he needed to take more you can have that three-point percentage go down a little bit uh and still be really effective and have it help your team and he just looks so confident with his handle too that's that's really the other thing just to reject screens to be confident if a guy's really up into him to still that he as that screen's coming he's still confident to make a move to go either way the way not just sometimes putting a guy in jail but when he kind of turns the corner and to take that kind of quick feint back towards the guy to really load up to kind of take your last step to explode to the rim like seeing seeing little little plays like that for him it just it really looks like it's it's his show how is the turner sabonis thing looking so there were there are more plays where circling back to in that atlanta game as atlanta had some stretch stretches where they did more switching there were some moments not not to pick on deandre Drandre bembry but there were a few times that turner really wanted the ball in the post against him and he missed a couple chances earlier in the game uh and he had two chances against jabari who was more just the base matchup hit two little jumpers over him and you just see you see some plays where and the utah game was fascinating too with boyan bogdanovich on turner as the base matchup and again that was another one you could tell he just he wanted the ball and there were moments in that atlanta game where he was really working hard to get deep position and then it's easy to say that those look really good and those can be helpful to them but if he just wants to catch it 12 feet out it's just it can still be really hard to get a good shot against some of those bigger wings too and he's got porzingis disease a little bit and just his inability to back down against some of these guys yeah and just and just the it just feels at the end of the day it just you know it it just helps if he's going to shoot the three because with sabonis as the role guy and and just the guy in pick and roll like caitlin cooper had this great piece in SB Nation about just Sabonis' screening, but him as the decision maker too, when Brogdon or Oladipo, whoever gets trapped, and if Turner can be the guy who's who's out there, maybe in a pick and pop, but also spacing it out, it just everything will just flow so much more seamlessly how's uh their bench looking i know they've been playing holiday and mcconnell together a lot with some of the guys uh, that they've had out lately yeah the 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 three most recent games you or three of the most recent recent games utah atlanta philly they did a little bit of of all bench with goga batadze playing in the first half only and then the second half when it got out of hand against utah those groups it's, it's just a lot of tj mcconnell and you you and danny talked about like rubio the other day where phoenix just kind of has to put the ball in his hands and sometimes with mcconnell it becomes too much when the ball is just always in his hands but at the same time i think i think the question might be if they get if they end up putting tj warren or, or jeremy lamb in those units a little bit more i think then it might kind of pose the question if people not guarding mcconnell maybe becomes too much of a problem and they want to kind of let those guys prop up those groups yeah you'd think it'd be mcconnell who's going to lose minutes uh, when oladipo does in fact come back the latest on him 
him he, he still says i'm waiting it just the usual platitudes uh, when it feels right i'll come back blah blah uh, but it does seem like it's trending in that direction uh, where he's doing a, a lot of practicing I, I would imagine he'll be back at, at some point this month and then mcconnell uh, when you have oladipo out there you can do stagger brogdon and oladipo as well uh, then you've still got holiday who's a larger part of their future and is also a better shooter so mcconnell has really done a great job of keeping them afloat i think in the regular season when you're not as focused on just not guarding him uh where you're going to react to some of those drives where he's not really a threat to finish uh he can still be a pretty effective player i think a lot of teams missed uh, on bringing him in and said you know it's a third point guard role there uh, anything else you looked at uh, on these guys before we get going just to just to hit on the turner sabonis thing that this this number was maybe a little lower than i would have expected that the that that starting five with with brogdon warren and and lamb on the wings they're only they're still only at 117 minutes on the season especially with turner having that that absence with the ankle injury so it's still it's still pretty pretty early it's early overall for everybody but especially for for that starting group yeah i mean with turner lamb has missed basically like half the season brogdon had some absences warren has had some absences sabonis missed a couple games to be 13 and 7 with that group uh, is pretty remarkable also remarkable is the march madness 365 podcast andy katz of ncaa.com speaks with the biggest coaching and player names in college basketball He's got top stories, exclusive interviews, and bracket picks come tournament time. Listen and subscribe to March Madness 365 wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 